all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negeb and the plain, that is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zor. The Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. Then Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab at the Lord's command. He was buried in a valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth, Beth Pur, but no one knows his burial place to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His sight was unimpaired and his vigour had not abated. The Israelites wept for Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days and then the period of mourning for Moses was ended. Joshua, son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him and the Israelites obeyed him, doing as the Lord had commanded Moses. Never since has there arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. He was unequaled for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh and all his servants and his entire land. And for all the mighty deeds and all the terrifying displays of power that Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. This is the witness of God's people. Thanks be to God.
I just noticed how Jackie put a little candle in the top right to mark that we're going to do some candles today at the end of the song verses. That was brilliant. I didn't even notice during the week. I just noticed now. I'm like, oh, that Jackie. Leaders come and go in the church and in the world, but the work and purposes of God carry on. You know this. You know this all too well recently here at South Arm. We've gone from different eras of different ministers over the last several years, from the legendary Gary Godin to Reverend Dr. Alan Lai to baby excited little new minister Lauren. You have gone through some ministerial transitions, some leadership transitions here at South Arm. So when we read in the Bible of a leadership transition, that's something you just might be able to relate to a little bit. We find ourselves today in the last chapter of the books of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and here we are at the end of Deuteronomy, Moses' swan song right before his crossing back home to God's presence forever, a reflection on the legacy and a time of mourning for Moses. When you hear the name Moses and you picture the stories you have in your mind of Moses, what is it you imagine most of all or perhaps first? Is it God meeting with Moses up on the mountain for the Ten Commandments twice? Is it Charlton Heston from the big film saying, let my people go? Is it Moses parting the Red Sea miraculously, or is it getting water from a rock? What is it you see when you think of Moses? Here, at the end of Moses' life, picture this, I'm going to dramatize it, Moses is going up the mountain again, a place he's very familiar with, symbolic, closer to God up in the heavens, up in the clouds, and Moses goes up to the top of the mountain, and he meets with God again, and God says to Moses, look at this vast landscape that I'm showing you from up high, almost from my perspective. This is the plains of all these different tribes that I promised to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. This is the promised land you've been leading the people to. But Moses, you're not going to see it other than this right now your chapter, your time, your purpose in my plans of God's people of the world is complete. Thank you, but this is it. Imagine being Moses for a moment. What a huge disappointment. That 11-day journey in the wilderness that took 40 years because people were complaining and grumbling against God, not trusting God's plans, but getting all too caught up in our humanity. I can empathize. I feel like I might have been one of the grumbling, complaining people along the way, too. 
just human nature when we get tired, when we distrust, when we get scared, when we get hungry, we get hangry. <laughs> and Moses is up on the mountain looking down, and God says, this is the promised land, but you yourself are not going to cross over into that promised land. You're going to cross over into life everlasting with me. Moses led the people to the Israel from the Red Sea to the Jordan River. He's proven that all human leaders, all human leaders have faults. But he's been a successful leader, even so. In fact, the scriptures tell us that there's no prophet in all of Israel who will hold up to what Moses has done. Moses led a group of grumbling people through the wilderness to where they needed to be and has fulfilled his part of God's plan. It's time for the Israelites to move on, to move from being a nomadic people who are wandering from place to place to being a people with a home and a land. And the transition of leadership has to happen at this time. Transition in leadership, something you know, something all God's people have known throughout the generations. We learn in this passage that when Moses dies, of course there has to be a period of mourning. Of course. We need to mourn, but the mourning should not turn into worshiping of what was. We're not to worship Moses. We're not to worship the days gone by. God is moving us forward. In verse 6, God buries Moses in a place no one actually can go and set up an altar and worship at. This was to keep the Israelites from worshiping Moses. And God places Moses outside the promised land. The text is also sure to tell us that Moses was 120 years old at the time, but his sight was unimpaired, and his energy was fine. Moses was otherwise healthy as far as a 120-year-old could be. He wasn't breaking down in God's time because God was still using him very much up until this point we get the description that Moses is well up until the time of his death. The people weep and mourn for a prescribed period, which in this case is 30 days. They have a month to worship, uh, to not worship, to mourn. And Joshua, whom Moses had anointed as the next leader, would step up to be the next leader of God's people. Never before has there been such a prophet as Moses, the text tells us. Although we as Christians might say Moses meeting God face to face and serving people unto his death, it made him actually like a Jesus figure. He was close to God. He prayed. He shepherded the people. He led them through the wilderness. He pointed the way to what God was doing, quite like Jesus. And since then, we as a Christian people, the Jews wouldn't necessarily believe this, but we as Christians believe that Jesus has come along and is our great shepherd. And after Jesus, the legacy of all the saints who came before us, the apostles, the disciples, our great-grandmothers and grandfathers, all the way down to us, and from us down to the generations behind us, 
leadership changes, and the story of God carries on. Here we find Moses, faithful but flawed, aged but otherwise well, all too human, but also deeply connected with the divine and used by God in mighty ways until it was time to pass the baton to Joshua, the next great leader. Israel henceforth will not need another great authority figure in the spirit of Moses. By the living word of the Torah that Moses has provided, the people will carry on with the Ark of the Covenant, with God's word in the midst of the people at all times. God's self will lead the people. The law, the commandments, the covenant, the promises of God to this people will be enough to lead them. They don't need Moses' leadership anymore. In one of my former churches, Canadian Memorial in Vancouver, there was a spiritual practices prayer group. And we were encouraged to pray and read and meditate in God's presence every day. And once a week, we would get together on Zoom safely during COVID, and we would talk about how prayer and how the books we were reading about what God does were transforming us. It was a nice way to unite the community and be deep in prayer and meditation on God's word and being part of God's kingdom together. We read two books back to back in the time. Well, there was three, but two in particular I want to mention today when I was in the group. One book was called The Grace in Dying, and another book was called The Grace in Aging, and they were by the same author, Kathleen Dowling Singh. She's a spiritual care practitioner in hospitals and in hospice. She's been at the bedside of numerous people in their time of crossing over to be with God. One of the things that I believe she said, I haven't gone back through her books and all the hundreds of pages, but I believe one of the things I'm remembering from her are that birth and death are opposite sides of the same door. And they're a precious time when we are so close to God. The time we're born and we're coming down into this world and the time God calls our spirit home. In the Buddhist tradition, they have a practice called Marana Sati. It's the awareness of one's own death. And there are nine meditations they do on this topic. At the heart of them is that life continues and that we and all of life are interconnected and interdependent on one another. I think that's beautiful. We are part of a great cycle of those who've come before us and those who follow us. The story and the purposes of God carry on. All of life is connected. In indigenous traditions, they have a wisdom that they teach up to seven generations. The thinking, the decisions you make, the life you're investing today is part of seven generations. Your great-grandparents, your parents, you, your children, your grandchildren, and the great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren that will come after you, whose life you won't even be here to see. But the decisions you make 
the love you sow, the lessons you teach, the ways you invest in this world, carry on into the generations behind you. God's cycle of life and God's great plan to love and redeem and reconcile and recreate the whole world continue. Everything changes. If we accept this deeply, there's a liberation in the awakening as we realize everything changes. Life carries on. From the heart, the breath, and the very imagination of God, all of life comes into being. From in the beginning, and let's recognize there was a lot of beginning before in the beginning we knew. In the beginning, down to you, sitting here today, God's story of love, recreation, redemption, and ultimate reconciliation is unfolding. I wonder who are the souls and the saints who are part of that seven generations before you, who invested in your life and helped you be the person you are today. I wonder, what will our legacy be? What are we investing in the world that will ripple out and be part of God's plan for generations we won't even see? To whom are you pouring into, handing your lessons over to? To whom will you pass the baton like Moses to Joshua? May we take a moment to consider that interconnectedness and interdependence of all of life. May we take a moment to consider our legacy upon this world and upon others. May we take a moment to consider our place in God's unfolding story, already well in progress, but not finished yet. May we take a moment to recognize our place in God's story. Today, we are going to mark a place in the liturgical calendar, the church calendar. There are some beautiful traditions from other churches that I like to borrow and I think are really deep-rooted and cool. And one of them that we don't see a lot in our mainline denomination, but I thought I'd bring in today, is All Souls and All Saints Day. Really, it's more of a Catholic thing. But our Catholic cousins, our relatives in the faith who worship God, who worship Jesus, who come to church every Sunday and worship and pray and Bible study, just like us, they have this beautiful tradition. Halloween is this Tuesday, October 31st. All Souls Day is Wednesday, November 1st, and All Saints Day is Thursday, November 2nd. It's a big spiritual week. For all souls, we pray for people who have died and are believers, and the Catholics believe in their tradition that they are in a peaceful in-between place between earth and heaven that they call 
purgatory. And this purgatory is a lovely place where they are being refined and made holier before they go into God's very presence in heaven once and for all. It's not a judgment place. It's a place of like a refining fire, of being made even more holy and beautiful before entering God's presence. Isn't that neat? All saints, we pray for the saints throughout all time in the Bible and the saints close to our own hearts. It started in the fourth century as a day, actually in May, not in November. It started as a day in May to commemorate all the martyrs who were killed in the early years of the church in the Colosseums for what they believed, for believing in Jesus and refusing to bow down to the gods of the empire of wherever they were living. And they died for standing up for their faith. And so this day was originally designed to commemorate all those who had given their lives for the faith. By 800, Christians in the UK started to observe All Saints Day on November 1st in reaction to pagan practices of tribes who regarded the fall as kind of a fearful time where spirits were thought to roam the earth. The Western church wanted to break people from any superstitions around spirits on earth and fear of the dead, to understand that those who have died before us in the faith are with God and are part of the family of God and are praying for us and watching down over us much more comforting, and they can intercede in prayer on our behalf. We call this the communion of saints. You may have heard that term before. The communion of saints is all the believers in heaven, in the atmosphere around us who are praying for us and encouraging us on our journey. We're ever surrounded by them. Their spirits never leave us. They are part of that cycle of God's story. They've invested in us. All Hallows' Eve, October 31st, the evening before, all the holies. It used to be called Hollow Mass, Holy Mass, in commemoration of all the saints. And I'd like to do a little prayer as we lead into this time of the service. There's a call and response coming up on the screen. For all the saints who went before us, who've spoken to our hearts and have touched us with your fire, we praise you, O God. For all the saints who live beside us, whose weaknesses and strengths are woven with our own. We praise you, O oh God, for all the saints who live beyond us, who challenge us to change and to change the world with them. We praise you, O oh God. I'm going to invite our ushers up. I'm going to give you an idea of how we're going to do this today. I'm going to light an initial candle on each of our candle tables. Those of you on this side of the church, I'm going to ask that you slowly, row by row, make your way into the center aisle and come up to the table where Marg is the usher, and she's going to help you as you light a candle. You can light two candles, I believe. We have enough to go around. There's 100 candles. 
There's 50 on this side and 50 on this side. Those of you on this side, I encourage you to come up the center aisle and peel off to Susie's side. She's gonna help you light a candle or two, and then we're gonna extinguish it in the vase of sand, and she's gonna help you with that. Good job. I know, I feel like a flight attendant. You're gonna come down the center aisle, and then you're gonna go off to the side exits like a flight attendant, and our ushers know what to do. And then I encourage you to go back by the stained glass windows and enter from the outside rows back to where you were seated. So we have a nice flow of traffic down the center to the candles, out of the way, and back to your favorite seat, wherever that may be. Or another seat, if you wanna fill the sanctuary in another spot. You go right ahead. I'm gonna light the initial candles, and I'm gonna invite you to come forward slowly.